Hello team, welcome to the Maximum Effort Fitness Podcast. I'm not sure which episode this is because I've recorded about two or three that haven't caught the audio, so I have no clue where we're at, but let's call it episode six or seven. Six slash seven. Today we're going to be discussing how muscles grow and specifically the difference between types of muscle growth. So uh, one of my clients slash team on the Facebook have asked what is the difference between muscle growth in weightlifting, hypertrophy, cardio or HIIT style training and there is a difference. Now for the sake of the podcast what we're going to be doing is we're going to be discussing it from the point of view of strength training and hypertrophy and how they work and we'll subcategorize the others into different types of training because I think what they're really asking is what is the adaptation from training so when you train when you give a stimulus to a muscle there is a adaptation that occurs and depending on what you've trained will depend on the type of adaptation that takes place so I'll take a little sip of coffee while I think about this let's hit hypertrophy because hypertrophy is almost universally useful, whether it's cardiovascular running, so you're talking marathon, or sprint, um, whether you're talking weightlifting, like Olympic lifting, or you're talking powerlifting, whether you're talking team sports, every kind of sport needs some form of hypertrophy, because a bigger muscle, and that's what a hypertrophy does, it tones and grows the size of the muscle, please don't click away for fear of looking like Arnie, because you won't. So hypertrophy is the growth of a muscle or the increase of muscle fibres, number of muscle fibres. And what we're looking for from these two is to see an increase in one of the two that then would correlate to your specific sport. Now the reason we wanted to start with hypertrophy is because hypertrophy happens on a broad spectrum and it is more stimulus dependent than anything else. So hypertrophy happens at around 5 reps as a minimum and probably goes all the way up to 30 reps. Probably beyond that but we don't have a great deal of information to confirm that and it's not particularly practical to be going in and doing sets of 40 on something it's just not going to happen with good technique close to failure you're more likely to lose out on your cardio before anything else so hypertrophy happens in the 5 to 30 rep range when you're controlling the movement throughout the eccentric which is the lowering portion and the concentric which is the portion of the squat where you're standing back up or where you're pressing the weight in a press where you're pulling yourself up Um, and acting against gravity, basically. So the eccentric is working with gravity, the concentric is is working against gravity. And the reason I highlight that is because in some sports like weightlifting, you want to be using the eccentric to elicit a bounce-back response um, called the stretch-shortening cycle. So that's why I specifically say that for most things in hypertrophy, training which is to make the muscle bigger you will be controlling the weight on the way up on the way down and of course in any pauses 
Now, if we go into specifics of strength training, strength is a fitness characteristic that means you can lift heavy weights relative to what you think is heavy. So, a power lifter has to be heavy and has to be able to lift one rep off the ground, off the chest, squat the weight up and down for one heavy rep. So, they need to have that level of strength. A... Olympic weightlifter has to be very strong but also very explosive to specifically to the lift of the snatch and the clean and jerk. Now, they will benefit from hypertrophy style training but when you are looking at strength sports, you are typically looking at being able to move the maximal amount of weight possible and not necessarily at, mac- at maximising the hypertrophy of it. So it's not to say that strength sport athletes or even trainees don't get a hypertrophic response from strength training. It's just to say that it's probably a byproduct. And what you'll often find is that trainees have different blocks. So they'll have the first block, which is maybe a hypertrophy block, where they aim to build the muscle. Then they will go into a strength block where they attempt to use the new muscle to get stronger. Because remember, everything is specific. So when we're talking about hypertrophy versus strength, hypertrophy is a type of strength that grows muscle. It's not necessarily that if you do hypertrophy training, it's going to make you better at your one rep max. It might give you the ability to get better at it by having more muscle, but it doesn't necessarily make you better at it. So I hope that makes sense. And when we go on to these other types of training, so cardiovascular and HIIT style, so high intensity interval training, um, and we discuss what do they do. Well, if you've followed me for long enough, you'll know that I am a large advocate for not doing classes like pump and tone because pump and tone, HIIT style training, doesn't provide a stimulus high enough. There is a threshold which you have to pass. And that threshold, I don't want to say it's particularly high, but doesn't correlate to high intensity interval training. For example, uh, to see a robust hypertrophy or strength response, you're generally going to lift um, somewhere between 60% and 85% of your one rep max. And that's 60% to 85% of a weight you could lift for one repetition only or something that feels difficult for sets of 5 to 30. Now, if you try and do that weight in a high-intensity interval style training, you will more than likely either not be able to perform it because you're so tired and so uh, sweaty and, yeah, tired, I guess, is the only word to use for it, or you will not be able to perform it because you are simply taxed from doing the previous exercise. So say we say we have a female who can back squat 50 kilos for sets of five, she can Romanian deadlift 60 kilos for sets of five, and she can overhead press 30 kilos for sets of five. In a high-intensity interval training style, she would be looking to perform 30 seconds of her squat. Firstly, how is she going to get the weight over her head? Because nine times out of ten when you're doing hit, you do not have a rack. Then she has to go straight in after those 30 seconds and perform 
her RDLs for 30 seconds. And then she has to go straight into her overhead press and perform that for 30 seconds. Now, bearing in mind that five repetitions of a decent pace, good control squat, remaining deadlift or overhead press probably won't take you 30 30 seconds. You would normally rest anywhere from two to five minutes in between sets. But high intensity interval training is high, very high intensity, low rest. Whereas hypertrophy and strength style training is moderate to high intensity with good amounts of rest until you're ready to go again. So the style of HIIT doesn't allow you to tax that threshold as we've spoken about before. So I hope that makes sense. And cardiovascular fitness is simply a different type of hypertrophy. It's hypertrophying the heart and the lungs. Again, the resistance that is needed to create that adaptation, let's say it's here, maybe running's here. And maybe for a beginner, it's up here and you'll see some changes, but they won't be that noticeable. So you need to look at it from the point of view that there's that minimum threshold and cardiovascular fitness does not tax the legs or the core enough to create that. Maybe calves, potentially calf muscles, like, but apart from that, quads, hamstrings, glutes, they don't get taken through a full range of motion, they don't get stimulated enough, and again, what's going to tire first, your lower half or your lungs and heart, probably the lungs and heart. So that I hope that changes that changes your perspective on the different styles of training. So strength strength training is just to wrap it up is maximizing your leverages. Okay, so the length of your limbs to lift as heavy as a weight as possible. Hypertrophy training is putting as much stimulus and tension on the muscle as possible through as big a range of motion, and range of motion is just how far that muscle can stretch as possible. And then cardiovascular style training, which is hit as a type of it, is more focused on the hypertrophying of the lungs and heart as opposed to the weights um, or as opposed to the muscles. So hit style training, just to reiterate, is too high intensity with too low a rest period and too, I guess, short a rest period. I've already said it. There's not much more to say about it. So you have to make that trade-off. There's other adaptations that come from it. And that's the first question. Next question we have, and I'm sorry, I'm balancing this on my filing folder. So the next question, how might we balance our work time, our workout time once workplaces are back to normal and there's less free time again? It comes down to what is a massive priority for you and how well you manage your time. So for me, for example, I have a spreadsheet that has my day from when I wake up, depending on the time, anywhere from like 3 a.m. to 5 a.m. up until my bedtime, which is around, you know, 9 9 p.m. to 11 p.m. So depending on my time, time management schedule, I will then have specific things that have to be done during the day to accommodate my training, my nutrition, spending time with my partner, spending time with my dogs, uh, me time working on my business, 
So what you need to do is firstly identify what you want to get out of training. So you understand whether it's, because if it sets fat loss, we don't really need to spend any time in the gym. So any extra time you spend in the gym, great. But you don't really need to spend any time there. You just need to nail your nutrition. Secondly, if it is hypertrophy, strength training, or some form of combination of them that you are interested in, you have to look at how much you need to do to get there. So if it's hypertrophy, you're probably looking at a minimum of eight hard sets per muscle group per week. Now that can probably be done in around three sessions at an hour an hour each. So you're talking three hours a week plus commute time there and back. So then you start to look at, right, okay, well, where does that fit in my schedule? Okay, so my commute's there, my commute back there. This is my workout time. And then you look at your nutrition. Okay, I need to eat something before it. When do I have time to eat? When do I finish? What type of food am I going to have? Because if I'm going to eat four hours before, I don't want to, you know, throw down uh, like a carbohydrate drink, like a Lucozade or a Powerade or a Gatorade. You want something like oats that digest slowly so that it hits your stomach, or sorry, it hits your bloodstream, so you've got that energy for the workout just before you go in. Or if you're someone, you finish work at five, you come into the gym at half five, you need something from 5pm to 5.30 that's just going to hit your system. So a Lucozade drink might be a good option um, because it's a carbohydrate-based drink, it's, it's liquid, so it gets into your bloodstream quicker, so it gets to the muscles quicker. Then... During the workout, that's obviously about maximizing your time. There's many ways of doing this. You can, for me, if I were recommending time, or sorry, if I were recommending time-saving things, I would tell them you want to focus on big bang for buck exercises. So you want to focus on squat variations. You want to focus on hinge variations. So that's like, it could be a back squat, it could be a leg press, a split squat, a goblet squat, depending on your level of strength. Then you would look at hinge movements, so you're talking, you know, deadlifts or a Romanian deadlift variation because they hit more muscle groups. And then for upper body, you're looking at presses and pulls, so you're looking at bench press, uh, dumbbell press, press-ups, incline barbell presses, incline dumbbell presses, rows, pull-ups, assisted pull-ups, chin-ups, these kind of things. So you're looking for the things that probably stimulate the target muscle as best as you find them. So pull-ups do great things for my back, but some of my clients don't feel them, so they don't use them. They don't have a lot of time in the gym, they're not going to use an exercise that doesn't stimulate the most. And that just comes from practice, it comes from learning and take a notebook in with you to the gym like when you're training take a notebook in figure out what you get a good stimulus from if you're getting stronger on it if you're seeing a noticeable increase if like if you start doing deadlifts and your deadlift goes up 20 kilos in six months and then your glutes are bigger your ass is bigger and your jeans are tight around your butt then you know it's working for you so you know it's a great exercise for you if you've been doing it, you're not seeing much progress in the weight room and you are not able to focus on, say, muscular improvements, then you are probably not getting much from it. You have to assume that your technique is nailed and dialed in though. So, if it were me, I would be looking at hitting full body, three times a week, I would have one of my main movements being a squat, the other one being a deadlift variation. I would alternate a push and a pull 
some sort of core exercise and I would be looking to hit a minimum of eight sets per muscle group and then how you split that up is totally up to you. All right, next question. So, I was asked, what are my thoughts on EAA slash BCAA supplements? What is the difference compared to whey protein? So, EAAs and BCAAs are essential amino acids and branch chain amino acids. And they are simply the amino acids that make proteins in our body and our muscles and our hair and our bloods, these things, that we don't get through, um, we don't produce naturally, so we have to get them through our diet. And whey protein is a supplement, it's filtered milk. And the difference between them well, in theory, off the top of my head, not 100% sure on this, but I think there is no difference between EAAs, BCAAs and whey protein when they're equated for the amount of protein you get. And someone can correct me if I'm wrong. But whey protein, because it is a derivative of milk, has some nutrients that you're maybe not going to get from EAAs and BCAAs. And EAAs and BCAAs are usually powders that just go in water, whereas whey protein is usually a powder that goes in with milk. And I think actually, per gram of serving, you're going to get more protein from your whey protein than BCAAs or EAAs. So EAAs and BCAAs, who needs them? Who should take them? Nobody should really take BCAAs because they're branched chain amino acids that you're probably getting through your diet anyway. And then EAAs, which is essential amino acids, is probably only of consideration for those whose dietary considerations don't allow them to get things in through meat and dairy products like vegans and vegetarians. Even then, most vegetarians don't need to take them because they can still get it in through dairy. Um, so the only time I recommend essential amino acids is the vegan clients and that is for those who don't have a great variety of plant-based proteins in their diet and it's more a coverall than anything else because of course whilst protein helps the body and protein is a necessity for the body it's only up to a point and what I mean by that is that muscle building is not an essential process for the body. It's not something that it cares for which is why it's rather difficult to do. But signaling matters when it comes to training, uh, when it comes to protein because when you resistance train it signals uh, you, the protein, uh, the muscle sorry, to open itself up and allow proteins to filtrate in and to grow. But if you weren't eating enough protein, your body would find it from the diet somewhere else in the body, like from the liver, for example, I believe. Now, is that to say that it's optimal? Probably not, and it's probably a very slow rate of gain, but it's still a rate of gain. So the reason that there's considerations and um, recommendations, couldn't think of the word there, recommendations for protein, 
is because it's such a slow process and because most people's diets don't include enough variety, whether that's through plants or whether that's through um, meat, dairy choices. I feel like I'm missing something else. Meat, dairy, who knows? Somebody can correct me in the comments. But the reason they don't get these in is when you suggest that they supplement. Now, again, it's probably a waste of money for most people to take BCAAs or EAAs. So I think that's the kind of last comment I have on it. I don't particularly see the need for most clients to get on them once they are eating a relatively well-balanced diet. Perhaps someone who has serious muscle gain um, hopes and they're vegan would benefit from an EAA, but apart from that, they're not worth a lot. Now we'll do one more just before we finish up because we've been rather good this week in terms of timing. So let's just go back through something that I recorded um, the other day uh, and it didn't work. So My thoughts on the barbell hack squat and my favourite shoulder exercise. So, I don't know if you mean the barbell hack squat as in the one that lifts the bar off the ground where your feet are split across it. So you've got the bar. How do I do it? I have a lighter or a used Q-tip. And I'm sorry if you're having to listen to me describe this. I'll use the Q-tip, I guess. So you have your barbell in the middle and your feet are split across the bar, your hands are on the outside of the legs and you push the ground away and lift it up in some form of like bastardized sumo version of a hack squat. It's pretty shit. The levers aren't there for you, the tension is mostly in the hands and the upper back and you don't get a large range of motion for the barbell hack squat. Now the machine hack squat is pretty fucking awesome. I personally prefer the leg press to the hack squat but that's only because of how I'm built and I prefer to be locked in at the bottom of the movement than the top but I do have clients who use the machine hack squat and the variations you can find in certain gyms can be wonderful. Again for the majority of people you don't have to worry about finding you know a prime fitness hack squat or a lever squat that you may find somewhere like Extreme Gym which is our future fitness which are amazingly kitted out gyms. For the most part most people just need a really competent movement capacity and a machine that lets them load tension and that they can progress well on. My favourite shoulder exercise, I'm going to be dead wanky as a, uh, and say for what because the shoulders have lots of different functions. For me, I love the barbell overhead press and that was only because my bench press was always so shockingly bad. I was just pretty awful at it. But my overhead press, I, cl I, went, I took to that movement very quickly and I really enjoy it as a strength builder and just to get someone comfortable holding a barbell. Would I recommend it for hypertrophy? Not if you want to be optimal. But I used it to grow my shoulders and triceps because I really enjoyed it. And I found that doing something I enjoyed got me more results than doing something was, that was optimal. If we're talking about the medial delts, so your side delts, 
and your rear delts and your front delts. For the front delts, I personally don't do any specific isolation work, although I can imagine that for some people whose um, delts are a lagging body part, that might be worth doing. For side delts or your medial delts, I would say that my favourite probably has to be a lateral raise. I do programme upright rows, but just whether or not it's just how I'm built. Upright rows stimulate my traps really well, but I have to really, really focus on them to get anything out of my side delts. Whereas I love lateral raises because you just cue someone. It's really simple. You say to them, it's like you're turning a water jug upside down and you're leading with your elbows. So your elbows come up first, you're turning a water jug upside down, and I'm holding a thumbs down position for anyone who's listening to this. And I find that 90% of people get a really nice stimulus from it. For rear delts, I only do one or two exercises for rear delts, and that's more from a health perspective because I do a lot of barbell rowing. And you have to remember, when you do a lot of presses and rows, your front and rear delts are going to get a lot of work done to them. The side delts, maybe a little bit, but you could always use a little bit of um, upright rowing or lateral raises to work the muscles. So for rear delts, I would perform face pulls or rear delt flies performed with either dumbbells or on a cable fly machine or on a fixed machine as well. Which my last point very quickly will be this. The difference between movements, so doing a cable lateral raise versus a dumbbell lateral raise. For the majority of people listening to this, unless in five years time I've become a bodybuilding prep coach and you're listening to this hoping to get some wisdom from my earlier podcast episodes, for the majority of people listening to this, won't matter. It won't matter that they are finding a movement that only challenges them in the mid and the mid and end range, which is a lateral raise instead of something that challenges it through the full range of motion. Because the cables at certain gyms are a pain in the arse to get onto, and it's not worth the hassle. Instead, picking a movement that hits the target muscle and you're getting stronger in with good technique, and you are eating sufficient enough protein, over time will grow them. Depending, and I guess this is the theme of the episode really, depending on the complexity, the drive of your goal, will really depend on what you are going to get or what you're willing to put into it. And this goes back to how to get back the most out of workouts when we are strapped for time with work. Well, if you're someone that works a nine to five and you have three hours to train a week, it doesn't really matter that you're not doing a preacher curl to target the end range of motion of your biceps. What really matters is you take care of your nutrition, your sleep and your recovery and that you Hit the body with as many full body compound movements as you can and you get stronger at them over time. Are you going to develop a physique that is something like a Greek statue? Probably not. Are you going to look good naked? Most definitely yes, as long as you take care of your nutrition of course. But I think that's what I would like to end on is that you need to stop looking at what's optimal and you need to start looking at what's practical for you. Even as someone who spends, you know, 90% of their time in a gym or talking about gym-related things, I train four times a week for around an hour each time. And over time, I have developed a physique that I am happy and confident with. It maybe is not compatible with some other people, 
but it doesn't matter because it's because it's something that I enjoy and if I want to develop more time to it then that will of course show in my physique but if I need to develop less time to it then that's also okay too. Folks thank you so much for listening to this episode if you need help with anything, you can reach out to me on my Instagram, Jordan Fleming Fitness. That's Jordan Fleming Fitness, Fleming with one M. You can sign up for my weekly emails through the link in my bio. And if you've enjoyed this, please don't hesitate to give it a like, a share, a comment, send it to someone you think could use it. And I will post the link to my questions down below. Take it easy. I'll see you guys next week.